رسوله الكريم. We begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa taala, and we ask Him to send His peace and blessings upon all of His messengers, and in particular Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Today's topic is learning discovered knowledge. The key areas that will be discussed in this topic is its relation with revealed knowledge, its importance and priority in our time, and its need in Islamic education. As for the speaker, Sheikh Khalid Yassin reverted to Islam in 1965. He is the chairman of the Islamic Teaching Institute, and he has been successful in to bring into Islam more than 10,000 people throughout the world. I mean, the more than 10,000 people have accepted the Shahada because of his efforts. Alhamdulillah. He is also the chairman of the Islamic Broadcasting Cooperation. which will broadcast broadcast in Ramadan two channels the channel of Islam and the purpose of life tv so with that inshallah i'll pass on to the speaker innal hamdalillah hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على سيد المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى اله واصحابه وازواجه ومن ولا وبعض فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار ايها الاخوه الكرام واخوات السيدات السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته all the praises are for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent his servant Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam with the guidance of the Quran and inspired the hearts of many human beings beginning with his companions and the tabi'in and the atba tabi'in and the generations after that radiyallahu anhum leading those people to become the masters of men leaders of humanity builders of civilizations governors of the world and leading those generations into other generations who themselves became the pioneers of science all the praise is for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gave the gift of jawami al-kalam prolific words that continue to bring new meanings and power to the world a gift that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam which he had not given to any other prophet before him jawami al-kalam these jawami al-kalam resulted in a fountain of overflowing ethics morals and unparalleled behavior so that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim laqad kana lakum fi rasulillah uswatun hasana liman kana yarju allah wal yawm al akhir wa dhakara allah kathira this unparalleled behavior of muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that earned him the station and the reputation in the minds 
of the entire world as the most profound human being in the annals of history. Dear Muslim brothers and sisters, the uniqueness of the revealed knowledge bestowed upon mankind by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Qur'an is to instruct humanity in a scientific way. It was the Qur'an, unlike any scripture that came before it, that introduced science. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, Ikra, bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fa'lam annahu la ilaha illallah, wastaghfir li dhambik. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduced through the Qur'an, not just the guidance, but education and the order of education. And through education to reflect, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Inna fi khalqi samawati wal ard, wa akhtilafi al-layli wa nahar la ayatun li'ulil al-albab. Al-ladhina yadhkuroon allaha qiyaman wa quudan wa ala junubihim yatafakaruna fi khalqi samawati wal ard. Rabbana, ma khalaqta hadha batilan subhanaka faqina adhab al-nar. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Qur'an, through the revelation of the Qur'an, He introduced not just revelation, but He also introduced inspiration, and through that He introduced legislation. No other book came before the Qur'an, giving the humanity inspiration and also legislation. And this legislation of the Qur'an has lasted all the, till now all the way to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the advent of the Qur'an, humanity entered the scientific age. The Qur'an in fact is the first and the last divine revelation which teaches man to reflect on the fundamentals of nature, the creation of the heavens and the earth, the change of the seasons, the rotation of the day and the night, the sea, the clouds, the wind, the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the laws that they obey. The Qur'an bids mankind to ponder over the mysteries of birth and death, the growth and decay of individuals, the rising and the falling of nations. The Qur'an asks man to contemplate on the sunset, the dawn, the hill, the streams, the vineyards, the outer space, the micro and the macro phenomena. All of this in order for man to embark upon the trip and the journey of seeking knowledge. So our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu said, Talibul ilm, the seeking of knowledge is binding upon all Muslims, including Muslim women. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the inspiration of the Qur'an and set it as a platform. And through this platform, the Muslims were able to understand that Allah had given them the mandate to understand themselves, to regulate themselves, and to control themselves. And through that same mandate, gave them the platform to understand the world, to regulate the world, and to control the affairs of the world. It is important for us to learn a lesson. Because of the inspiration from and through understanding of the Qur'an, Muslim scientists emerged as the leaders of the Renaissance. And this word Renaissance is a French word that has a French 
derivative, renaissance. It means bringing a new life to something which was dead or bringing a new light to something which was dark. And so they gave that name to the age that came after the Qur'an. The non-Muslims gave the name to the world after the Qur'an, Renaissance, because it brought their dead civilization to life. And the darkness of their ignorance, it brought them to light. And so even they acknowledge until today using the word Renaissance or the age of enlightenment, it was the age after the Qur'an was introduced to the world. The Qur'an introduced to the world jurisprudence, that is a comprehensive codified methodology of jurisprudence and legislation. And that was perfected and delivered to us by our great imams. Islam brought to us, the Qur'an brought to us, history and sociology. Our great scholars, Ibn Battuta, Al-Mas'udi, Ibn Hayyan, Al-Khatib Ibn Baghdadi, and Ibn Khaldun, who brought to us the first political theory, history of philosophy, and sociology, the first theory of historical development, and the founder of the science of sociology. The Qur'an set the platform for the Muslim scholars that brought to the world the science of geography. Al-Khawarizmi, Al-Muqaddasi, Al-Istakhri, Al-Biruni. Islam brought to the world the platform of the science of astronomy and mathematics. Islam brought the platform and the science of mathematics. Umar ibn al-Khayyam, Abu Bakr Muhammad, and Abu al-Wafa. Islam brought through the Qur'an the science of chemistry. Al-Razi, Jabir ibn Hayyan, who brought to us the works of Al-Razi, devised the process of calcination and reduction. And the Kitab al-Asrar, translated into Latin by Gerard ibn Krinan, was the chief source of chemical knowledge. Islam to the Qur'an brought to us the knowledge and the platform of medicine. The first textbook on ophthalmology. More than 200 medical books. The Kitab al-Maliki translated into Latin, which content, continues to be a major source and reverence. Ibn al-Haytham, his work became the basis of Western optics. Abu al-Qasim al-Zahrari brought the book to us at Tasrif, a medical encyclopedia used in Europe for centuries as a standard work on surgery. The books of Ibn Rushd, popularly known as Averroes, a person, the first knowledge that a person could be infected with smallpox only one time. And Ibn Sina, known to the world as Avicenna, who superseded the works of Hippocrates and Galden, used as a textbook of medicine in European universities until now. Science owes much to the Qur'an. The Qur'an introduced a scientific method for the first time. The Greeks, because of their philosophical bent of mind, were more interested in generalities and propounding theories, but they were not familiar with methods of investigation. Detail and prolonged observations or experimental inquiries. The Qur'an initiated and extended the development of a new spirit of inquiry, new methods of investigation, observations and measurements that paved the way for scientific advancement and for the following centuries. The Qur'an, as a revealed knowledge, is the fountainhead of science in the sense that it was responsible for great discussions. The verses of the Qur'an repeatedly called attention to the movement of the heavenly bodies, the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and thus these verses inspired Muslims to make use of the universe and the treasures instead of worshipping them. Before Islam, 
the human beings looked at the stars and worshipped them. Before Islam, human beings looked at other human beings and worshipped them. Before Islam, human beings looked at the mountains and worshipped them. Before Islam, human beings had no idea of the phenomena of the world, whether in a micro sense or a macro sense. But the Quran came and said, وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا مُسْتَقَرِدْ لَهَا ذَلِكَ تَقْدِيرُ الْعَزِيزِ الْعَلِيمِ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He explained the phenomena for the human beings. And He said that He is Rabbul Mashriqayni wa Rabbul Maghribayn. That whatsoever you look and you see, whether from a micro or macro point of view, He is the Rabb who is sustaining that, who has created that, who is regulating that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He also said, Kul huwa Allahu ahad, that He is ahad. That he is absolute, and that he is unique, and that he is samad. That is, he has created and sustained, while he is sustained by no one. And that, whatsoever you see in the heavens or in the earth, it cannot be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because it is makhluk, and he is al-khaliq. And you will not find al-khaliq contained in al-makhluk. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the human beings through the Qur'an distinctions of who is he and what is the science. The science gave the human beings the ability to understand, to reflect, to have the distinction. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned to us in many places in the Qur'an, he gave us the ability to make distinction, clarification between al-khaliq and al-makhluq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through the Qur'an, He also introduced to us the understanding of embryology. No one knew the development of the human being before the Qur'an. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the development of the human being in Surah Al-Mu'minun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the development of the human being in Surah Al-Sajdah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the full development of the human being from the point of nutfah to the point it comes from the womb. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to that in Surah Al-Hajj. And the Muslims have only to look to that. And those Muslims who read the Qur'an, who understood the Qur'an for the first time, they were able to explain the embryological development of the human brain, its origin from its essence all the way until the grave. The Qur'an brought that knowledge to us. Oh Muslims, we can spend a great deal of time discussing the phenomena of Islamic discovered sciences. And it is important for us to learn a lesson from this great legacy and not simply to relate it as a matter of, of rhetoric or historical nostalgia. Many Muslims, they talk about the golden age of Islam when we used to rule the world. How many scholars, how many universities, how many sciences, and it is just a matter of rhetoric. It is just an issue of historical nostalgia. Because the world is not contained, is not concerned about what it used to be. The world is now concerned is, what are you doing now? And in a recent report from the New York Times, one of the major newspapers in the world, they said that yes, Islam and the Muslims made some great contributions in the past. But in the last 400 years, the Muslims have not contributed anything to the world except oil. Subhanallah. You can be angry. You can be frustrated. You can say what you like, but that is their perception. And the perception has to do with the one who creates that perception and those who have the perception. O Muslims, the legacy of discovered sciences is the very basis for social sophistication and what distinguishes Islam from every other system. O Muslims, we need to know what distinguishes Islam from any other religious system. 
is that it has a social sophistication. It has a way to manifest itself in the society. It is not something to be practiced in the mosque. It is not something simply in the books. It is not something taught in the classical universities. It is something that is seen, magnified, manifested in the society from the individual to the family to the community to the society itself. And if the unbelievers of the world today do not see Islam as a power, as a force, because it is the Muslims, it is because we are like open glasses, open at both ends. Whatever goes in us, it comes out the bottom. And no one who's, who pours something into a, a vessel and it comes out the bottom will pick it up again. Because we are empty, we are full of rhetoric, we are full of classical knowledge, we are carrying Qur'ans, printing Qur'ans. Every Muslim here probably has five or six Qur'ans in his house. Every Muslim here has Sahih al-Bukhari, Muhtasar, or the complete version, Sahih Muslim, all the books. Most of the scholars, they have it in their libraries. Many of the Muslims here have 100, 200, 300 books in their houses on tafsir, on seerah, on Arabic language, on hadith. But what is it doing for us in the modern world today? We are like donkeys carrying books. Because Islam requires a vessel. It requires a vehicle. It requires individuals who themselves are bent upon advancement and dynamism. Islam did not come to a group of people who themselves sat among themselves and recited some books. It did not come to a group of people who sat in their tents, who dwelt among themselves. No, it came to a people who went out and spread this knowledge and challenged and inquired and scraped the dust and looked and investigated. There were people who were not satisfied to sit where they were. O Muslims, the Quran is a basis for revealed knowledge. And as a basis for revealed knowledge, it emphasizes three consistent themes. If you turn to any page of the Quran, any surah of the Quran, any verse of the Quran, you will find it reflecting one of three themes. The oneness and the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At-Tawheed. It is either saying something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or giving one of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or warning us, describing to us who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either by the saying of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Wallahu ala kulli shay'in qadir Wallahu azizul alim Or it is something saying something to us about Qasasul anbiya about the consistency and the characteristic of Ar-Risala, the message, and those who carried the message, and those who were present in the societies of those who were given the message. So the Qur'an is constantly telling us about the societies that came before. And those messengers and prophets who were sent, alayhi to those societies that came before. And describing those societies. And what was the end of those societies. So we will know what will be the end of other societies that try to frustrate the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or who become opponents or enemies of the anbiya of the risal of the, of the rusul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the consistency and the characteristic of prophethood is the second theme of the Quran. And the third theme of the Quran is the purpose of life and the path towards Al-Akhirah. It is discussing Amal. 
contracts, responsibilities, what to pay, what to say, how to think, how to act, how to deal, how to eat, how to sleep, what to select from, how to deal with other human beings, how to deal with oneself, dealing with rule, dealing with authority, dealing with jurisdiction. Yes, the third theme of the Qur'an is the purpose of life and the path towards Al-Akhirah. Because based upon the actions, a man selects for himself a path towards either paradise or a path towards hellfire. It is the third theme that details the interaction between man and man, man and the rest of the creation, and more importantly, the relationship between man and his creator. It is this theme, the purpose of life and the path towards al-akhirah, that forms the bedrock of all discovered knowledge. For it were not the need for the human beings to understand the purpose of life in a sophisticated way and to appreciate the path towards al-akhirah. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَخَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ أَلَمْ نَجَعَلْ لَهُ أَيْنَيْنَ وَلِسَانًا وَشَفَتَيْنَ وَهَدَيْنَاهُ النَّجْدَيْنَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us in Surah Al-Balad, that it is necessary for the man to use his aql, his eyes, his senses, his perceptions, to understand, to appreciate, and to assume a responsibility on one of the paths. It is this theme that forms the bedrock of all discovered knowledge and all the applied sciences. The pioneers of the discovered knowledge, the pioneers of the applied sciences were motivated by their insistence to understand, to have questions answered, to solve problems, and through their inquisitiveness improve the quality of life for human beings. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَأَحْسِنُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ وَأَحْسِنُوا What does it mean? It means to do good. But it means to acquire and to assume a position of excellence and then to serve humanity with that excellence. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah loves the people who are in the position to control resources of the highest level, and then serve the human beings with that. It is this driving force to do good, to personify excellence, to face and conquer every challenge that connects discovered knowledge with revealed knowledge. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not intend for the Quran simply to be revealed, and after that, for it to fall upon a rock. Otherwise, he could have revealed it to the animals. He could have revealed it to the insects. He could have revealed it for the jinn. He could have simply given it to the malaika and have them to carry out and execute his will. But he gave it to the human beings because he created the human beings as khilafa. Khilafa. The ones who would inherit by their knowledge and their responsibility the governance and control of the earth. Because our planet earth and our existence on this planet is intrinsically connected and defined by the capsule of time. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ by the capsule of time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swearing by the time. When he says, Asr, he is swearing by the time. Because time is one of the most important and most profound symbols of life. 
if there was anything in life that personifies the most valuable asset, it is time. Because no matter how much money you have, how much knowledge you have, who you are, where you are, what you control, if you don't have any time, you are nothing. So Allah, he swore by the time. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had no other way to exhibit his power to his creatures, it would be the time. Because all creatures, black or white, in the west or the east, male or female, of whatever background they are, they are all brought about by time, evolved through time, and destroyed by time. Because our planet Earth and our existence on this planet is intrinsically connected and defined by the capsule of time, the importance of discovered knowledge has no barriers and no distinctions from one generation to another. So to ask the question, what relevance does discovered knowledge have in our time? The answer is that to Allah belongs all time. And if it were not that the earth was the third planet from the sun, and that the earth was one of nine planets that go around the sun, if it were not that the earth was a part of this solar system, and that this solar system is part of the Milky Way, and that the Milky Way is a part of a nebula, and that nebula is a part of another nebula, if it were not for that, we wouldn't know how to keep time. There would be no night and no day. So time is only relative to us. So the issue of how many centuries ago and the difference between the Muslims then and the Muslims now and the time then and the time now has no relevance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so therefore, the word of Allah, the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the determination of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mandate upon us is the same as the mandate when this Quran was revealed. O Muslims, discovered knowledge has no barriers and no distinctions from one generation to another and from one place to another. However, time is connected to development and development is connected to relative responsibility. Please follow me. I said, time is connected to development. And development is connected to relative responsibility. Therefore, because of the profound and complex development of discovered knowledge as it is in the form of technology and science today, the earth has become a global village. A global village. That means you and I, just like that, with the pressing of a button, we can send a call from here to China in a matter of 10 seconds. I can press the button on my phone and I can speak to someone in China. I can communicate with anybody in the world. I can know what are the conditions, whether atmospheric, political, Governmental, personal, psychological of any human being in the world just like that. And that is because of the profound and complex development of discovered knowledge. So the earth has become a global village. And therefore, our responsibility of Khilafah is more urgent and more evident. And so, my brothers and sisters... I don't want to talk here about abstract knowledge. I don't want to continue this ecclesiastical type of discussion. I don't want to continue to talk about this, this Islam which is in the books and this uh, knowledge which is in the books and what it should be from a philosophical point of view. We want to talk about how discovered knowledge is supposed to lead us to assume responsibility in the earth. 
In the light of the vast and diversified resources of science and technology today, which is present and characterizes the modern world, the responsibility and the irresponsibility of the Muslim Ummah is blatant and tragic. I said it is blatant and tragic. Our irresponsibility as an Ummah can be seen all over the world. The Muslims are unable to respond to any condition that takes place in the world. They cannot respond by themselves. No country in any region that meets any challenge is able to respond to it themselves. They must call the United Nations. They must ask the United Nations, of which they have made bay'ah to its charter. What do you think we should do? How can you help us? What should we do to acclimate? How can we attract your support? What should we do in order for us to solve this problem or that problem? If we have a leader we don't like, can you kill him for us? Can you extract him for us? Can you change him for us? If we have poverty, if we have disease, can you give us a loan from the IMF? Can you give us a loan from the World Bank? Can you help us? If we have some enemies threatening us, can you bring your air force, your army, your planes, your tanks, protect us? If we have oil in the ground, our own resources, can you come and pump it for us? Oh Muslims, the tragic condition of the Muslim world is blatant for the world to see. So the Prophet ﷺ said a time will come when the nations of the world will gather. Like some hungry people gather around a plate of food when it is thrown in their midst. Like a group of wild dogs who are hungry and you throw a stake in the middle of them. They fight each other just to get it. And so the nations of the world, the United Nations, whether the G8, the G9, or whatever you want to call them, they have set the Muslims up like a buffet. And today they ask for each other. Which one you like? You like Afghanistan? You like Somalia? You like Saudi Arabia? You like Jordan? You like Egypt? What you like? Most of them we already had. Let's see if we find a new one. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, this condition will happen. And the companions of the Allah anhum, they were surprised. Because he gave this here, talked to them, after what time? After Fathul Mecca. After Fathul Mecca. When they were very powerful, they were very strong, and right after the victory. They said, Ya Rasulullah how this condition will come to us? Will we be in the minority? Will be a small number at that time? He said, no. Bal antum kathir. You will be at that time, a huge number. In the majority of the world, as we are, 1.6 billion, the Muslims like to say. We like to say to people, 1.6 billion. Yeah, 1.6 billion wet matches. billion tons of rotten food. 1.6 billion people with no leadership. Neither do the Muslims have a global leader, nor do they want to talk about it, nor do their leadership plan for it. So the Prophet said, no, you will be in the majority. But your enemies will have no respect for you. And secondly, you will not have any substance. Your substance will be like the foam, the bubbles on the ocean when it comes into the shore and the trash that it leaves when it goes back out. And thirdly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strike something in your hearts called wahin. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, what is this wahin? These were Arabs. He spoke the Arabic language, but they didn't understand what this wahin. 
He said, dunya wa The extravagance of attachment to the dunya, loving your houses and your wives and your businesses and your degrees and your governments and your culture and your traditions and what you have and don't not wanting to be wounded. Not wanting to die, just not wanting to be uncomfortable. Not wanting even to be wounded in the way of Allah. Hubba dunya This dear Muslims, the fact that the formal Islamic institutions in the world, and I don't have to name them, I have counted myself that there are 17 major Islamic educational institutions in the world that are pumping out students and scholars like biscuits. They are turning out students and scholars like Dunkin' Donuts is turning out donuts. Scholars, as many as you like. Students, as many as you like. Memorizing Quran, the whole of it. Memorizing Sahih al-Bukhari, the whole of it, tafsir, sirah, balagha, blah, blah, blah. And what they do with it? Alhamdulillah, they are teaching in the mosques, and they are teaching again in the universities. But the teaching never leaves from the mosque or the universities at all. O Muslims, the fact that formal Islamic educational institutions are satisfied and dedicated to imparting classical religious tradition and the memorization of ecclesiastical sources, this is one of the symptoms of our stagnation and our weakness. Our inability to compete or produce in the modern world. Did you know that in most Muslim countries, the cars that they drive are not manufactured by Muslims. The refrigerators, the freezers, the houses they live in are not produced by Muslims. The banks they put their money in doesn't, is not owned or controlled by Muslims. The hospitals that they attend, in most cases, are not built, nor the machinery in it, by Muslims. Even the medicine, the procedures, and the instruments, they are not developed by Muslims. So what are the Muslims producing in the world today? How are the Muslims competing with discovered knowledge and applied sciences? Muslims are competing with classical and ecclesiastical knowledge. Which is necessary. There is no doubt. The Prophet ﷺ told us that the scholar has the same importance to his ummah as the Prophet ﷺ had to his companions. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, the scholar is to the ignorant or the common person as I am to one of you, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So yes, we cannot do without the scholarship. We cannot do without the classical knowledge. But I ask you the question, brothers and sisters. Were the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and the tabi'een, the atiba tabi'een, and those who came after that, were they just satisfied only with classical knowledge? No. They entered the field of discovered knowledge, of the applied sciences. To do what? To work for non-Muslims? To be the slaves and subordinates of non-Muslims? To go through the world and go to the institutions of the non-Muslims? To work for their companies? To live in their governments? To get their passports? To get their permission? To get their culture? To earn the level and quality of their societies? Never. These are a new kind of Muslims doing that. Because we are defeated Muslims. O Muslims, for that reason, millions of young Muslims who want to advance in the modern world, they feel compelled to attend and complete their formal education in America, Great Britain, France, Germany, Canada, Holland, Sweden, Japan, 
Australia, Belgium, and Spain. Yet, you will never hear of a non-Muslim student from one of these countries feeling compelled to complete their education in a university in Pakistan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Morocco, India, Afghanistan, Turkey, or Bangladesh. So what has happened to us? No one wants anything from us except our natural resources. They want our oil, they want our gold, and they want our blood. It is because we Muslims, we got our faces in books. And our Iman and our Islam never goes outside of the university or the, the meeting halls or the mosques. And we are not competing in the world. And we are no longer masters of the applied sciences anymore. We are no longer the ones controlling the discovered. No one's following our light anymore. We are following the light of others. Oh, Muslims, this is why we Muslims consume and demand products and services of everyone and everywhere. Yet, we do not control any products and we offer very few services to anyone other than ourselves. And we do not even control our own natural resources. Let me give you one prime example. Did you, brothers and sisters, know that 15 years ago, Nigeria was the third largest oil-producing country in the world? Did you know that? And the Nigerian Naira, the currency of Nigeria, was the third most powerful currency in the world. And through the IMF and the central bank in the last 15 years, Nigeria now controls only 3% of its own oil reserves. And the Nigerian Naira is the 79th, 79th currency in the world. How could it be that in 15 years a country loses complete control of its natural resources and today Nigeria has to buy oil from Shell or BP. This is one prime example we can see. I could give you 20 examples like that. Because we Muslims don't pay attention to the issue of the discovered sciences and competition. Oh Muslims, this is a direct result of the absence of or the inferiority of discovered sciences in the Muslim educational institutions. A solution, because we need a proposition that may lead to a solution. And I will not give a solution from myself. I will base this solution based upon empirical knowledge, historical knowledge, the precedent of the Qur'an, and the precedent of the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, which has already preceded us. The solution to our decadence and our intellectual stagnation is to return to the field of battle. And what is the field of battle? The field of competition. The field of inquisition. The field of excellence. The field of development. The field of control of our resources, control of ourselves, and control of our societies. Oh, brothers and sisters, it is the challenge of reforming ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to us in the Quran, Ya ayyuhaladzina amnu taqullah wa qulu qawlan sadida yuslih lakum a'amalukum wa yagfir lakum dunubakum wa man yuti allahu wa rasuluhu faqad faza fawzan azima Look at the ayah. He says, oh you who believe, be mindful of Allah, be conscious of Allah, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, huh? and speak words that are direct. That means, direct yourselves towards the world, straightforward, be direct, don't be inferior, don't be reactionary, be truthful, be direct, be progressive, be dynamic, 
Speak the right words. Make a direct statement to the world. Declare yourselves. Make yourselves known. Make your statement to the world. If you do this, O Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yuslih lakum. A'malukum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give islah. Islah. Reformation. Reconstruction. Allah will reconcile, straighten for us. He will help us to reform ourselves. And if we reform ourselves, if we reform our thinking, Allah will help us to reform our families. Allah will help us to reform our communities, our organizations. Allah will help us to reform the society. Allah will help us to reform, to reshape the world. Then he will forgive us our sins and our shortcomings. And he says, and whomsoever does this, meaning obey Allah and his messenger, وسلم, they will achieve a very powerful success. O Muslims, through the process of education and social orientation, Muslims have been demoralized. Muslims have been made dysfunctional. And through this same process, Islam has been made to appear obsolete and non-progressive. It has been made to appear that way. Our responsibility is to rediscover Islam and to rediscover ourselves and to integrate the dynamics of the Islamic knowledge, the revealed knowledge, with the discovered knowledge and the applied sciences and disciplines which are taught in the academic institutions of the world. I say that what is taught in the academic universities of the world is knowledge which belongs to us because the Prophet said, Al-Hikmah Varit al-Mu'min Hikmah, wisdom, the sum of all knowledge is the lost and found property of the believer. He has more right to it wherever he finds it. To have it, to contain it, to control it, and to disseminate it. O Muslims, through this process we will regain our dignity. Through this process we will gain, regain our equilibrium. And through this process our position among other human beings will become clear, distinct, and one of integrity. Through this process, we will gradually understand and we will gradually learn to compete for global empowerment. And Muslims, don't be afraid to say that we have the right to compete for global empowerment. We have the right as Muslims to say we have a better way we have a better law. We have a better example. We have a better legislation. We can create a better world. Yes, and we have the right to say that we should compete for the control of the world. Why do we have to whisper and say that? We don't have to whisper. We don't intend to go about that through any subversive means, fanatical means, extreme means, or reactionary means, we intend to go about it intellectually. We intend to go about it from social sophistication. We intend to go about it by developing our personal, organizational resources. We intend to go about it by taking, striving for a command position. Because what would we rather have? Our societies our women, our children, our families, our communities being controlled by others other than ourselves? Of course not. O Muslims, through this process we will regain our dignity. We will regain our balance, our equilibrium. We will also regain our position of Ezza among other human beings. And through this process we will gradually understand and learn to compete for global empowerment and to be willing to see and to be willing to see the possibility 
and even to dream of the prospect of global leadership. Today, Muslims have been so demoralized that Muslims believe that it is impossible for us to arrive at global leadership. If you ask Muslims the question, why don't we have a global leader? They put their heads down and they have no answers. We should ask the scholars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, فَاسْأَلُهُ أَهْلِ ذِكْرِ إِن كُمْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ So go ask the scholars. Why there's not a global leadership? Okay, we talk about the tragedy. 1924, the head of the Muslim body was cut off from the body. The head was cut off. And we have been walking around without a head on our shoulders since 1924. That is 80 years, Muslims. 80 years. And no one wants to say that we should put the head back on the body. We should not think about it. We should not plan for it. We should not dream of it. We should not even speak of it. We should only whisper it. No Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, هُوَ الَّذِي أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى وَدِينَ الْحَقِّ لِيُظْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْكَافِرُونَ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْمُشْرِكُونَ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْمُنَافِكُونَ Allah sent this revealed knowledge to His Prophet ﷺ in order to do what? أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى to give the world guidance and to give them a system which is absolutely truthful. Deen al-Haqq. In order that this Deen al-Haqq and that this guidance, the Quran and the Sunnah, that this Deen al-Haqq, that it would become zahir, clear, dominant, ruling. Ala kulli deen over every other system, even though the unbelievers, even though the mushrikeen, the polytheists, and even though the munafiks among the Muslims, the hypocrites, even though they would hate it and resist it. O Muslims, this is where discovered knowledge leads those who obtain it. This is where discovered knowledge leads those who obtain it, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, it leads them eventually to global leadership. The unbelievers, they understand that. Our enemies, they understand that. Our opponents, they understand that. But we Muslims have fell asleep. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to us in the Quran, Ya ayyuha ladheena amanu taqallah wal tanzur nafsum ma qaddamad lighad wa taqallah إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ أُولَٰئِكَ الْفَاسِكُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, you who believe, fear Allah, and look, think, reflect, وَالْتَنْدُرْ نَفْسُ مَا قَدَّمَتْ لِغَدْ Look and reflect about your condition, and what you have sent forward for tomorrow. What investment have you made in your children, or your future, or your society, or your condition? Allah. Fear Allah. Be mindful of Allah. Inna Allah khabirun bima ta'maloon. Certainly Allah is khabir. He is aware of all the subtle things which others do not see. Others do not hear. He sees all the secrets, the hidden things that you do in the day, what you do in the night. Allah Allah is aware of all the conspiracies. Allah is aware of your intentions, of what you do. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ And O Muslims, do not be like those who forgot about Allah. And so Allah caused them to forget their own selves. How the Muslims forgot about Allah? Did they forget the names of Allah? No. Did they forget the time for the Salah? No. Did they forget how to recite the Quran? No. Did they forget how to memorize Hadith? No. The Muslims, they understood all of this. But they forgot about the issue of Ahkam. They no longer want to use the Quran as an Ahkam, as a Hukum. 
They're using the Quran only traditionally. They're using, they're referring to the hadith only for tradition. But as a hukum, as a legislation, they no longer use it. So because of that, they forgot about Allah. And when they forgot about Allah, Allah caused them to lose the identity of themselves. So we Muslims, we don't know our identity, we don't know our purpose, we can't find our way. This is where discovered knowledge leads those who obtain it, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, it leads them eventually towards global leadership. Isn't it tragic that our leaders and scholars, most of them, our institutions and educational syllabus, most of them, do not even discuss this issue. A Muslim student going to the Islamic institutions throughout the world cannot even discuss this issue. We cannot go to Mecca. We cannot go to Karachi, Lahore. We cannot go to Egypt. We cannot go anywhere, Yemen or anywhere, and ask the question openly to the scholars. What is the condition and what is the process to reestablish Khilafah and the dignity and the empowerment of Muslims in the world today? We cannot ask the question, isn't that tragic? O Muslims, how can we build a successful society? I understand that the theme of this conference is to answer the question, how can we build a successful society? A society where? A successful society where? In the UK. How many Islamic groups are there? You know better than I. I'll tell you in America. In America, there are more than 397 different Islamic groups. 397. Just in my city. Where I'm born, New York, there's 198 Islamic organizations. And do you know what? Kullu hizbun bima ladayhi farihun. Every group has his own thinking, has his own way, his own idea, his own menhaj, his own thinking, their own leader, their own place, and that's it. And no one can step among those group of leaders and say among them, who is the Amir of you Muslims here? And the Muslims in the UK, I don't think are any different. I believe that it is the mandate of the leadership of the Muslims in the UK to have a conference like this among themselves and to close the doors for three days and to talk among themselves, and to eat and sleep and wake up and pray together, and to determine which one of them has the best knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and to come out and announce to the Muslims, we have elected him as the Amir of the UK. And the Muslims of the United States must do the same. And the Muslims of Australia must do the same. And the Muslims of other regions must do the same. Because when the Muslims of the UK choose that, you will find then, through our discovered knowledge, through our resources, inshallah ta'ala, the Muslims will arrive back at the opportunity and the platform of global leadership. O oh, Muslims, I say that one of the ways that we can build a successful society is that we use discovered knowledge and that we use our dynamism and that we use our resources and that we use what Allah has given to us to promote global leadership wallahu alam subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu minal dhalimin ya allahu ghafur rahim bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin brothers and sisters i thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i thank the organizers of this conference for the opportunity to give my nasiha and my nasiha is like the nasiha of any one of you. You can take it. If there was some benefit, you can use it. And if you feel that there's no benefit or you disagree, you can throw it away in the trash can outside. Because my nasiha is like the nasiha of any one of you. And my observation is an observation from being a part of the body. 
I am not speaking to you. But my eyes are blind. I'm looking at myself because the Muslim is a mirror of his brother. And I'm speaking from passion and from a feeling of the pain of the Ummah. And I believe, inshallah ta'ala, that whatever contribution that I have made is from my heart. And I ask Allah SWT to be the judge of the sincerity of the hearts. And from one Muslim brother to another, one Muslim brother to a sister, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'd like to thank Brother Sheikh Khalid for his talk. Uh, obviously, we're supposed to finish at 12 o'clock, which means that we don't have any time left for questions. Inshallah, we will uh, take the questions on, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. So keep the papers and pass it on to your brothers, and hopefully we can take those questions. Uh, the next session will take place at half past two, and it's on the divine decree of parents and parenthood. Just to remind the brothers and sisters, uh, do your wudu and make it to the dining hall uh, for lunch. First we'll have lunch, and then after food, there will be the salah for asr, dhahar and asr. Zakulakhar. Assalamu alaikum.